We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one, they're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com. Top of the hour is being brought to you by Northwestern Basketball, Chicago's Big Ten team. Join Coach Collins and the Cats at Welsh Ryan Arena on Tuesday, February 22nd for a special Tuesday. Oh, I see what they did. Tuesday. All tickets are $22. Buy now, nusports.com. And this hour is being brought to you by DuckDuckGo. Privacy simplified. Mr. Fryer, let's DuckDuckGo. Lawrence Holmes, noon to two on Sports Radio 670 The Score and 670thescore.com in Odyssey Station. Can you dig it? Can you dig it? Can you dig it? Glad that you are hanging out here with me. I'm Lawrence Holmes here with you until 2 o'clock. Big Ant is in a meeting right now, and I know that he's getting ready to make a call for a game. So my hope is that he will join us within the hour, but I don't want to, like, rush him where he's like, well, let me get out of this meeting, and then uh, there's going to be plenty of time. I want there to be plenty of time for us to talk with Big Ant here. So hopefully what we'll do is we'll find him and contact him, and then in the next segment he can join us after he's done with his meeting, and then he doesn't have to rush, which is fine because there's some other things that I would like to talk about. We will get back to the Super Bowl, and I have more Super Bowl thoughts for you. By the way, thanks to everyone who was available today. Folks that are listening on 670thescore.com or the Odyssey app, the folks that are on Twitch, twitch.tv slash Chicago 670thescore, we appreciate you being able to watch the show. I'm back in studio. I'm trying to stand a little bit more. because So the trip to Phoenix, I spent a lot of my time sitting down doing the show, and I have been paying for it over the last few days my back and my hip have been killing me. So I'm on the mend. I am doing my yoga. Why are you looking at me like that, Brandon? I'm just paying attention right now. Just pay attention because this is what happens to old people. Like, I literally got hurt sitting. I mean, I feel you. Like, I'm I'm getting up there too in age. So, like, I try to reach for something in the back to give, like, my son or something. And then next thing you know, my whole shoulder and side is just aching. Yeah. And I usually do the show standing up when I'm in studio. I, if, For those that can watch the show on Twitch, usually the formula is I stand for segments when I'm by myself. I sit for segments when I'm doing interviews because it makes it easier for me to write down a note or a follow-up question or something like that. That's usually how it goes. But, like, this weekend, I was in a bad way. I was watching the Bulls game on Saturday and was struggling. I was on the struggle bus. But I think I'm on the, I'm, I'm on the uptick now, which is good. Oh, before I go on to talk about basketball, have y'all checked out? Have you, Brandon, have you checked out Bel Air yet? See, 
I want to check that out. I thought it was coming on right after the Super Bowl. Somebody told me that, and then I was like, oh, Winter Olympics coming on. No well, the, disrespect the to fir- Winter Olympics. The first episode, I, I actually watched on Peacock yesterday. I didn't watch the over the air. I watched on the stream, and I watched the first episode of Bel Air. Fam. It's different. There are elements that obviously attach to the original work, but uh, yeah, man, it it is. I was looking forward to it. I, I pretty much liked everything that Will Smith has produced over the last few years. The show that he has on Disney Plus, Welcome to Earth, is amazing. I wasn't expecting, because I had read some of the reviews, I wasn't expecting expecting it to be a chuckle fest like the original. There are some funny moments. This is a very different version of that story. It looks real intense. I saw that trailer and I was like, whoa. Yeah, I, I, would, I would highly suggest that people who did love, because they're going to be the, ah, like, you're, they're going to have those moments where you go, oh, they did the thing. But it is a drama, not a sitcom. Not too much laughing at this. There's not a lot of kikiing going on with Bel Air, but I enjoyed it. And I, it's it is beautifully like stylized too. But I watched that before the Super Bowl yesterday, and it was enjoyable. Basketball thoughts. I promised you basketball thoughts. I have them. I want to talk about DeMar DeRozan for a second. And I know that all of us have been marveling at what DeMar DeRozan is. The fact that he is a a player that has been able to have some success mid-range and at this volume, the the amount that the Bulls are in some ways counting on him to do it because they've had injuries all over the place. You've got Alex Caruso is not out and Lonzo had surgery and now there's all the stuff that's going on with Zach Levine, where if you didn't know, Zach didn't play Saturday. It was back-to-back games, Friday night, Saturday night. He didn't play Saturday against OKC, and then Woj reported that he went to go see a specialist about not his back, his knee, the same knee that, that he messed up a while ago. So that was really, really concerning, and I've got some big-picture concerns when it comes to the Bulls. They've really been doing it with a lot of talent, a lot of hard work, and and they've been magrubering this thing. Like they they got duct tape and all sorts of stuff to try and make this thing work. I shouldn't say magruber because he blows up every time. I should have said MacGyver. They've been MacGyvering this thing. MacGruber. What they did with the MacGruber character a couple of weeks ago, at SNL was hilarious. Anyway. I marvel at this when I watch DeMar DeRozan. Watch him be as effective of a player as he's been. And I heard Billy Donovan after Saturday's game talk about DeMar. And I think that if you're a basketball geek, if you're someone that has grown in the last 10 years, you're using the analytics, you kind of understand the concept of three is more than two and you should take more three pointers. You should have people that are better three point shooters on your roster. Billy does a great job of explaining why in this particular season, like most of DeMar's career, 
he has been able to be one of the most effective scorers in the league without really being a three-point shooter. In terms of how he plays and what he does and where he gets to on the floor in today's day and age where, you know, it's interesting. I had, when I was coaching Chris Paul two years ago, he was a, an unbelievable mid-range player. I mean, when he came off pick and roll and got to the elbows, I mean, those were like layups. And I think that the unfortunate part is in today's NBA, there's been like a devaluing, you know, of those shots. And I think that, you know, not all three-point shots are created equal. And I think people are really seeing, you know, how dynamic he is. I, I would rather take two points than no points, you know, and – when he gets to his spots on the floor, I mean, he is just an incredible, I mean, he's an incredibly unique player and I give him a lot of credit because he works hard. He takes care of himself. He comes ready. He's incredibly professional, but he's as good of a scorer as I've been around to answer your question. Is that something you guys talked about when you were thinking about pursuing DeMar, you and AK in the front office, kind of the fact that he's kind of zagged with the zig of the league. Like maybe oh, I've had a conversation with him. I had a conversation, you know, with Chris Paul. You know, because I think Chris coming out of Houston, where they took a lot of three-point shots, um, you know, there's this thing where, you know, we got to shoot more threes, shoot more threes. I, I, sometimes I don't necessarily – I get the I, – I really believe the analytics are an important part of the game. I do. But it's not the end-all, be-all. And everything is not about numbers. I think everything is about, you know, how do you try to utilize the strengths of an individual player. And I had, you know, my last year in Oklahoma City with Dennis Schroeder, Chris Paul and Shea, they were all guys that kind of played in that mid-range floaters, runners, that kind of stuff. And I think when you look at an individual player who gets those kind of shots like DeMar, who is so elite at it, I mean, he's as good as there is in the league at it. Um, we talked about it. I felt like when, when he came and he and I had spoken that I want him to be him. I'm not interested in him. Like if he's got, like, I think he's a way better three-point shooter than maybe he's been given credit for. So when he's open, you know, if he wants to take those, it's fine. And I, I think that he's selective. I think people sit there and say, well, he's not a really good three-point shooter. It's not that. He just doesn't take a lot because he gets to better areas of the floor. And he's maybe more efficient there. Um, but I really, in our conversations, had talked a lot about – because I – you know, when he was in San Antonio playing against him quite a bit, and even in Toronto, just, you know, seeing him, I've always been a, been a big fan of his game. And I just wanted him to come here and be him, you know, and I, hopefully he feels like he's able to do that. That's Billy Donovan talking about it. I love what he says about not all three-point shots are created equal. He's right. How many times have you seen, mostly off of transition, it doesn't happen a lot in the half court, but mostly off of transition where a guy has a layup or dunk and kicks it out for a contested three. It happens a bit. Now, not everyone can play this type of style of offense. Donovan gave you a list of the guys that can and do it effectively. It's just really fun to watch DeMar continue to do it. My fear, though, is they're asking him to do so much offensively. Now, Vooch, if you look at Vooch over the last, what, seven games, he's been amazing. And the relationship that Bulls fans have with Vooch is also amazing because it'd be like, he stinks. It's like, Vooch is the man. Hate it or love it. Look, he did it to himself. Donovan had actually talked about that inside this press conference. He had said that he thinks 
that Vooch has sacrificed more than any of the other players when it comes to his game. And he was explaining how Vooch needs someone to get the ball to him. Zach and DeMar can go get their offense because they have the ball in their hands a lot. Vooch is going to be dependent on the entry passes, which the Bulls are not great at. Like the bounce pass from the three-point line to the post, they need to be a lot better than that. Sometimes guys don't get angles. Like they're not using the like the wraparound to bounce it to him to get him the ball in space where he has a smaller guy pinned on him. Stacy was talking about that last week where you got it when he is is fronting a smaller player, figure out a way to dump the ball down to him. So let him work. Let him work down there. He's got great footwork. He's got good offensive game. But Donovan was saying that he has sacrificed a lot. And I I took it to heart. They've got some issues, man. At some point, maybe we'll do a little bit more of it with Cody tomorrow on the show. I really, the more I kept thinking about the trade deadline and and you add in now Zach going out to see a specialist, like last week felt like quite the gut punch for the Bulls. I promise that we will be exploring the Bulls on a more granular level over the next six weeks. You want to know why? Because there ain't going to be no baseball. We're going to be doing all sorts of stuff with the Bulls. We should also, Brandon, put it on the list of things we need to do this week. We need to talk to someone who's really connected on baseball. Because I, you could tell that Rob Manfred, a.k.a. Ellis from Die Hard, was out here trying to desperately put in front of you, hey, we, we, we've we made some agreements. We got this universal DH thing, and, and we're also not going to do the draft compensation for free agency. What say you? Oh, yeah, we got to give this bad contract to the players on Saturday, and then they're going to tell us they don't want to do this, and then we're probably not going to have spring training on time. So, yeah, we'll be spending a lot of time talking about the Bulls. We'll get back to the Super Bowl. Big Ann Heron is going to join us next here on The Score. We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one, they're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com. Lawrence Holmes, noon to 2 on Sports Radio 670 The Score and 670thescore.com in Odyssey Station. Anthony Heron. All we got to do is do our job and punch him in the mouth every single play. Bears Monday with Big Ant. One of the offensive linemen from Indiana just starts like kind of ramming my face in the ground, basically, in the midst of a pile of bodies. So I, with my, my dexterity that I have and the flexibility, I rear back while my face is, is in the ground, and I just kick him in the chest. So all the officials see is a big body, a big Hoosier body flying backwards, and my foot being the reason why. He gave me some kind of Bruce Lee cross kick or something. I kick out of the 
Sirius XM and Fox 32 football analyst. They have no idea what goaded me into doing that, so I end up getting ejected from the game because I kicked this dude in the chest and he goes flying. Oh, yeah! Look at you! You was popping all that good second ago, then you got kissed in your chest! Anthony Heron and Lawrence Holmes on 670 The Score. It's the best contribution that I've made to this show that I was able to add the boondock soundbite to Anthony Heron's open. He joins me now on the Circuit Resort and Casino Hotline. Circuit Resort and Casino in Las Vegas, home of the world's largest sports book. Big Ant, how was your Super Bowl Sunday, sir? Lo ho, it was uh it was festive, it was uh it was plentiful in its consumption. And uh there there was I was saying this uh last week that for the Super Bowl, because that's the point in my football calendar where it's not a game. It, you know, I don't, I don't have to be there covering it in person. I'm not taking copious notes throughout the game. I'm just, I'm watching it. But there's a little bit of back and forth where I'm in the kitchen stirring some stuff up or cooking this and that. And I'm also over there in front of the TV. I was definitely in my seat for the halftime show. And uh, you know, so it's, it's just, it's a fun way to just sort of view football as a voyeur. And I don't necessarily do a whole lot of that. Usually, I'm viewing. Uh, work football throughout most of the season. So I usually enjoy the Super Bowl in a little more of a, of a casual fashion. Watching your Instagram yesterday, and, and, and Big Ant does the ant bites when he's out on the road and stuff. It made <laughs> me laugh because when I used to work with Paula Ferris at, at Channel 5, we used to always keep a bag of scoops available <laughs> because it was her like like joy food like it would uh, make her happy so in case we needed it we had and she's she was a a scoop advocate okay. so so when i yeah. saw i just started i was gonna tag paula because she, she <laughs> i probably will when i before i'm done with the show because she would totally endorse the idea of you got to get a good fresh bag of scoops uh-huh. and get it going if you're going to be watching some football yeah, man. I mean, Tostitos makes a, a strong chip. They do. You know, it's formidable. You you get the scoop. You get. I, I made some. I've been talking a couple of weeks now, leading into the Super Bowl on queso dip because I've made a certain version of of my meaty sort of my carnivorous cheese dip in the past. But I was just kind of thinking, you know what? Throughout the playoffs, let me try to find a couple of spots downtown here, especially just preferably within walking distance. So when the Super Bowl came around, I could just go grab the the nacho cheese dip from there and be good. And frankly, I, I didn't find a spot that really kind of met my expectations, exactly what I was looking for. So I just went ahead and made it, went out and bought my, my cheese, bought my salsa, bought my beef, you know, added a little bit of my own little personal flavor into it and said, you know what, this is going to get it done. And it did. I had my scoops, had my queso, had my, my beef in it, and it, it was good, man. I did my thing yesterday. Sounds like a winning combination. Before we talk about the game, what were your thoughts on halftime? I loved it. I enjoyed halftime. You know, I, I agree with those who, you know, told everybody to pump their brakes a little bit on the greatest show of all time because I'm, I'm a Prince guy. And so that, to me, I, I have a hard time seeing anything surpassing Prince at, at the Super Bowl halftime. And frankly, Michael Jackson, that one sticks out to me also. where He had like the wide variety of MJs. Like, is that MJ over here? Is that MJ over there? A lot of us are kind of waiting for the Tupac hologram to appear at some point during halftime yesterday and i don't know if, if michael jackson had holograms going or what but if anybody remembers that super bowl halftime show there was a, several different like potential michael jackson's appearing in various portions of the stage and then suddenly it's like oh that's the real mj there he is right there so that one sticks out to me also so last night was a blast i, I loved 
pretty much every moment of it. But in the end, like, yeah, let's let's make sure we, we keep Prince in the proper reverence for where his halftime show actually ranks. I would agree with you. It's funny. Brandon Fryer and I were just talking about top five tomorrow, and mm. we were thinking maybe top five Super Bowl halftime shows. But okay. everyone who listens to this show's knows how number one is going to be. It's like it's like the old BET video countdowns. They'd be like, Thriller is not number one. Yeah, well, Prince is going to be number one. So so Brandon is actually going to take over, and it's going to be his top five commercials from yesterday. And I thought there were some pretty ah, good ones. So right. we are going to be doing that. As for the game, I, I was fighting myself all week before I made a pick on the game. And I, I kept fighting myself. And then I came back to the – the essence of football, you know, this, the type of stuff that I learn from people like you, people like Olin, Alex, Lance, the idea of, well, where's the best player? Where's he at? And what is it like in the trenches? And I couldn't, I couldn't see myself going, I'm going to bet against those guys not being able to get to Joe Burrow. And at one mm-hmm. point, it looked like they almost knocked Joe Burrow out mm-hmm. for another year yeah, for man. the way that his leg bent. And that's where I kind of came down on a Sunday morning. I just got asked out of the blue, who do I think is going to win? And I said, I think the game will be close, and I don't want to pick against Joe Burrow because he's amazing, but it's Aaron Donald. (laughs) And then we saw Aaron Donald do the Aaron Donald stuff throughout last night's game. And the thing is, like when you think about who's who's got the most alphas on their team, like, yeah, at quarterback, advantage Bengals. I mean, I, I think Matthew Stafford is a really good quarterback, uber talented. But yeah, it advantage Joe Burrow at QB. I wouldn't necessarily say by this, you know, cavernous sort of margin. Advantage Burrow at QB. Both teams have uber talented receivers, but on the line of scrimmage, advantage LA. You knew that going into the game. So it felt like because of some of those intangibles coming in that Cincinnati would definitely keep it close, perhaps even win the game because it's not like even though they're playing in their home stadium, it's not like any of us should have anticipated some big home field advantage for the LA Rams because they're the LA Rams and that that's just not what's what's available. To and them. quite honestly, according to the tickets that were sold, there were more Bengals fans than there were LA fans there. Right, and I think that because the line of scrimmage ends up meaning so much for how both these coaches, you know, both you know, where you know folks may not recognize it going in. I was even tweeting about it a little bit during. I don't remember if it was on Saturday or during the day Sunday, but even just the the personality of both teams were both Sean McVay and Zach Taylor, where they're thought of as these these young, creative, inventive offensive minds, and there's an assumption that tends to come with that. But I didn't see either guy going in being like somebody who's going to go for every fourth down or somebody who was, you know, going to pass with a whole lot of – with as much volume as folks anticipate. Frankly, you know, I, I thought going into the game, I thought Joe Mixon was going to easily get 20 touches, and Zach Taylor, in my opinion, did get away from that more than he should have. But both teams – ran the ball with, with plenty of frequency. Neither wanted to put his quarterback in harm's way more frequently than he not, you know, sort of absolutely had to. So there was some discussion about, like, why is Sean McVay running the ball so much? Frankly, that's just that's what he does. That's how he sets up play action. And Zach Taylor, he's had Bengals fans get mad at him the entire season for not necessarily letting Joe Burrow cook as much as they think that he should. But he knows how porous his offensive line is. That's a big part of the reason both those teams made it to the stage that they were on yesterday. And in the end, I think it came down to Aaron Donald having his Reggie White moment. And Aaron Donald isn't as advanced in his career as far as just age and maybe where you see that that overall game dip yet. 
like Reggie White was when he was in Green Bay and able to sort of close the show for the Packers against the Patriots in the one Super Bowl that Brett Favre won. But it had that vibe to it where you get a guy who's been the best in the business on the defensive front for so many years now, and now you get him on that stage and that opportunity to go and seize it. And Aaron Donald, once he got into the second half of the game, he was able to go seize it. I think there was a moment where that play where he did record his his first – statistical sack of the game where he chases Joe Burrow towards the sideline and he had a very legal, well-inbounds hit knocking Burrow out of the sideline. Then you get the silly Bengals offensive linemen who come over there thinking they're going to shove Aaron Donald in the face late. I think that's part of what got his game going even more. Like, oh, you you know, disrespect me? You must not know who I am. And so then throughout the third quarter and certainly in those, those critical moments in the fourth quarter, we saw who the best player on the field was, and he, he closed the show, and it felt like it reminded me immediately of that Reggie White moment in the Super Bowl where you see this all-time great who's finally able to to show his majesty on that stage. Oh, yeah, you was popping all that good stuff, and then you got kicked in your <laughs> chest. That's, that's how it ends up going on. I, I look at both of these franchises, and, and I, I feel like they're in such different places, not just geographically, but the, their approach and how they got there. I know this is a really big ask, but are there anything that you can look at with both teams and and say the Bears can take this from the Rams, the Bears can take this and apply it from the Bengals? I do think that because Zach Taylor seems to at least have a defined philosophy on on what he wants his team to be, they acquired some in, you know, like – Cincinnati has a decent amount of fresh personnel just from the last two years, and so it's obviously not in the same vein where you're getting these all-time great talents like L.A., where even when Jalen Ramsey has one of his worst games of the season, it didn't end up affecting the outcome because they have so many other great defenders out there too. So Cincinnati's roster isn't constructed that way, but there is a lot of newness that's been acquired on each side of the ball. But Zach Taylor and, you know, the the brass there with the Bengals, they seem to have had a a very concerted approach to that. And I think where for so many years, while the the previous Bears regime was here, Matt Nagy and Ryan Pace and the the term identity was just sort of this nebulous thing. And they publicly admittedly didn't have an identity. I do think that that Matt Eberflus seems to be someone who knows exactly what he wants his football team to be. Will it give them a schematic advantage every time they take the field? It might not, but, I mean, all football coaches are in the room. They're in the film room breaking things down, trying to put their team in the best schematic position they can. And then when it comes down to it, what is your identity that you're actually infusing into your roster that shows up in critical moments? And that's the thing where the Bears not really ever knowing who they are and who their best, you know, sort of, you know, what the best version of themselves is under Matt Nagy. I don't think that's going to be an issue with Matt Eberflus. So, that, as much as anything, should maybe give Ryan Poles, Matt Eberflus, I guess an additional infusion of confidence in as long as they know exactly who they want this team to be, doesn't guarantee them anything, but that's their best path towards success. That's their best best path towards the Super Bowl is deploying that. Whatever that is, know who it is, know what it is, and deploy it as opposed to just trying to sort of figure it out on the fly and never being certain whether or not you're doing things the right way and hoping that you'll maybe, you know, stumble into something in the midst of a game or in the midst of the season. And that's what it felt like things were with the bears for a long time, having no real idea of who they were best served in being who they needed to be at their best. And I do think that the leadership here in this position now 
knows what they want that to be. Whether they deploy it adequately or not will remain to be seen, but that that's how teams get to the Super Bowl. You know who you want to be. You commit to that. And then, just like the commitment I talked about with the great pass rush, whether it's a speed rush or a power rush or whatever, you can't half-step in it. it. It doesn't allow you the best margin for success. And that, that's what the Bears need to take away from that, both with L.A. and with Cincinnati. Those are two organizations who know exactly who they want to be. The hard work now begins for every team that's in the NFL. The the Rams have got to figure out if their coach is staying, if their best player is staying, what they're going to do at receiver next year outside of, of, of Cooper Cup. Like They've got a lot to figure out. So do the Bengals. How do they improve their offensive line? What do the Bears need to do? And, and what are you hoping to see inside this draft process that is going to get, get started to go real fast over the next couple of weeks? That's the intriguing thing with the Bears because Ryan Poles is in a, in a position where you know he's got some draft picks, but he doesn't have oodles of draft picks. He's got some cap space, but the Bengals have more cap space than the Bears do. So, I mean, you know, he's not in necessarily a, a position to just really reshape everything. So he's got to sort of take out the scalpel. He can't just kind of take a sledgehammer and everything. He's got to take out the scalpel. And as he's, you know, at least in his his public proclamations about things. He talks like he's really closely evaluated this roster up to this point already. And so he's got to figure out exactly where he wants to thread that needle because he's talking about competing right away. They're not talking about it as a rebuild. They want to get in here and get into the work of winning right now. And it makes a lot of sense because of where you're at with this defensive talent that I understand why they're very excited about what they can do there. And then of course you've got a rookie quarterback with a lot of gifts who they can try and surround him with things. So, it seems to me that trying to make sure you're putting a quality defense in the best position for success, how you tweak things there, and then just making sure you get as much depth as possible on the offensive line. And then in addition to that, get some playmakers for that young quarterback. Then that to me is where, you know, how does he view what's available up front? Do you need to just add depth to tackle? Or do you find more starting tackles? Do you you know, feel like you really want to pay James Daniels. And, and that evaluation, I think, is going to end up shaping what they can do elsewhere because you obviously need more help at receiver. I believe they're going to find ways to get even deeper at running back and just have a focus for offense that, that sets up Justin Fields to be a guy that, that has a system in place. And I, I don't necessarily believe that Luke Getzey doesn't know what he wants to run. I think it makes sense to not public, publicly proclaim that yet. Yep. But I think they have a sense what they want this offense to be under Justin Fields and shape things personnel-wise in that way. How do you balance if you're the Bears? Because I, I was making the point earlier about Joe Burrow, how they the, there was a, a real commitment by the Bengals. Now, the, the Bengals as an organization, like it's tough sledding. Like They don't spend a lot of money. They don't have their mm. own indoor practice facility. But they, they seem to understand the assignment of, we drafted this guy number one overall. He's our face. Let's give him some agency and some power. How do you expect the Bears, how can they walk that fine line between giving Fields that level of agency and also trying to build just in case he might not be the guy? And that's where the, the Bears – between last season and this season have been in a different circumstance with Justin Fields than Jacksonville was with Trevor Lawrence, than Cincinnati was when they drafted Joe Burrow, where when you're in full rebuild mode, where when you're in tear it down, we're not as concerned about winning as we are about 
making sure that we're accumulating talent for this young QB and winning in a few years. That's a different position than the Bears found themselves in with Justin Fields. So going into this season, it's still going to be about winning and, and trying to figure out what is the best version of that. So my impression is because Justin Fields was there at the press conference, I think he's going to have some agency in this thing as they get to know him. How much agency do they feel you know, is necessarily worthwhile? It depends. If, because they don't have a first-round pick, but let's say for some reason like Chris Olave is available or the Bears maybe have an opportunity to make a move for one of Justin Fields' old Ohio State teammates who he's just over the moon about, then maybe you end up in a situation like the Bengals found themselves with Joe Burrow. I think, you know, the the story of Joe Burrow kind of convincing them to draft Jamar Chase, I understand why it has legs at this point. But if, if the Bengals thought Jamar Chase was worthy of the 20th pick, they weren't going to draft him in the top five just because sure. Joe Burrow said so. You know, there was that balance of he was in that, that He was in that range. Mm-hmm. No, right. no, matter, no matter who picked him, he was projected into that like, area of, of five to seven picks. Exactly. And so if there's an offensive lineman, because Ohio State has several linemen who are going to be in this draft cycle, who will be on the board when the Bears are picking, I think that's where a Justin Fields having a college teammate and he can try to influence things to a certain extent, then I believe that's plausible. But at the same time, I, I don't think it's, uh, you know, it's not necessarily exactly apples to apples comparing where the Bengals were at and the way you know, Joe Burrow was able to influence the uh, the acquisition of Jamar Chase to where the Bears are with Justin Fields because of some of the more limited draft capital compared to Cincinnati and not having a first-round pick. But I think that evaluation of people who Justin Fields knows, you know, what he feels like and, and him communicating what he's best at and perhaps what makes him most comfortable on the football field, then that can shape the discussion with Luke Getzey and then with Matt Eberflus and then up the chain to Ryan Pulse. So I think that portion of the conversation with Fields and his influence on that, that all should be taking place because it'll inform not only what they can do in acquiring talent, but obviously what they're going to actually be doing and trying to execute once they get onto the football field. Big Ann, as always, I appreciate it. Thanks for an incredible football season giving us all the great insight that you can. Now you get to take, what, a two-day break before you you start getting ready for everything else that you have to do. But I really wanted to thank you and and say uh, that that we we love having you on this show and being our first football voice on Mondays after games is important, and I appreciate you doing it all season long. Well, my friend, I do appreciate it, and I always enjoy it, as you know, and as I always have, even before we were doing it every Monday, but just you having me on the show over the years has always been something I've taken a, a fair bit of, of pride and appreciation in because you were like the first one on the score to say, yeah, let's get this guy on. Let's start chopping it up about sports and other things, and it's, it's obviously uh, led to and allowed a whole lot of other run here for me at the score. So I appreciate you, man. Have a good couple days off before you really start <laughs> – Pounding like the more football coverage again. Right, it's, right. It's, Plenty it's, of it on the way. Yes, sir. All right, Ant, be good, man. All right, man. That is Big Ant Heron. He's great, and we love talking with him. And I'm glad that he was able to make it work. I'm not kidding. Like he he's now going to be doing all sort. You're going to see Big Ant like everywhere over the next couple of weeks, which is good because he's really good at doing this. When we come back, I would like to get into the fallout of the Super Bowl. We'll do that next here on The Score. Lawrence Holmes, noon to 2 on Sports Radio 670 The Score and 670thescore.com in Odyssey Station. Things change so fast at the end of seasons, especially in the NFL. You could see Aaron Donald retire, Andrew Whitworth retire, 
Odell Beckham has torn his ACL. That was reported today. But what's really crazy is how things are going to change for the way that we consume football next year. Al Michaels looks like he's got a big money deal that's going to be on the table for him if he wants to go and work for Amazon exclusively. That's not the only piece of the Sunday night team that's being broken up. Michelle Tafoya has been talking about retiring from this portion of her media career for three years. And it looks like now she's going to do that. On top of that, Sean McVay might get the John Madden deal. There's talk that he could walk away from coaching because he can make the same, if not more money, as a lead broadcaster for Monday Night Football. And if you think I'm kidding, understand this. Tony Romo, at the end of his CBS career, as CBS's number one analyst, is going to make more money than he made playing quarterback in the NFL. You know how much money Tony Romo made for telling you how great things are and explaining things before they happen? $18 million a year. That's how much Bill Belichick made for running the Patriots. Now, there aren't a lot of jobs. There's like five of those jobs where you can make money like that in broadcasting. But Sean McVay is going to be offered one of them if he decides he's willing to walk away. Could you imagine walking away at 36 and then walking right into real, real money? Woo! That would be exciting. I'll talk with Parkins and Spiegel. Get their thoughts on the Super Bowl next here on The Score. We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one, they're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com.